Welcome to episode 115 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I'm Justin Mason, joined, as always on Sundays, by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing, my friend? Hey, you said 115, but we're actually 1,015. That's for oh, traveling wow. back in time, and I had a few, you know, fewer wrinkles and fewer gray hairs that I'm hiding under this beanie cap here as I'm trying to stay warm. But yeah, we're episode 1,015. So it's been freak out, and be like, damn, this is an old show. I'm not listening to this. Yeah, it's been such a long time since we recorded on Sundays that uh, I guess I uh, I missed a few episodes. <laughs> so. Um, Joining us today is a special guest. We have Kevin Hazen of the On The Wire podcast, former TGFBI overall champion. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Justin. It's amazing to be here. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Got to hang out with you uh, in uh, in Arizona at first pitch, uh, which was a fantastic experience, as it always is. Why don't you remind people where you reach on social media, uh, and then kind of talk about what you do. Sure. Uh, it's pretty simple. I'm at Hastings Kevin on Twitter, uh, as we still know it, for the moment anyway. I, uh, <laughs> I am a co-host of On The Wire podcast, as you mentioned, uh, with Adam Howe over on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Uh, it's a fab-based podcast in season. We record as late as possible on Saturday evenings and get it out as soon as possible early Sunday morning in season. In the off-season, we're doing some other subjects throughout the year and uh, even even keeping it going more often this off-season. We went to every other week last year. Uh, this year, we're we're trying we're doing at least weekly and and even having uh, a couple bonus episodes here and there. Um, yeah, and I do a in-season fab article at Pitcher List along with that in-season, and uh, that's about it. Just love talking baseball. Yep, and you're a great person to talk baseball with. Uh, I don't have this on the rundown, but one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because you told me something really cool about, if for those of you who play in NFBC, uh, about the Rockies schedule. So give people a little bit of rundown there. I know it was on the rundown, but I'm sure you're prepared because you, you got all the info in that brain of yours. Yeah, it, this is something I stumbled across uh, in May of 2022, and the the MLB schedule was very gracious to those of us that were rostering Rockies players. We know about their tremendous splits home and away uh, due to Coors Field, and for most of the rest of 2022 at that point, the Rockies were either at home or on the road for an entire weekly scoring period. Uh, that made it really easy to even sit CJ Crone in weekly leagues uh, as, as I played out the rest of the season. So I went ahead and looked at 2023 to see how that was going to work out this year. And it doesn't. Uh, if you're in a weekly league, I, I'm not advocating drafting any Rockies players. Uh, even C.J. Crone, for example. Uh, I believe it's week nine before they're at home all week. Um, it, it's very few times. Now, in a lot of weekly leagues, those would be trading leagues as well. So I would look at trading for them at the trade deadline. I believe three of the last four weeks of the season, they are at home all week. Head-to-head -head leagues, that would be great for playoffs. Uh, and then NFBC, as you brought up, that's a completely different story. 
you can get 80 of the 81 home Rockies games without using a single road game for Rockies players. Now, it means you're probably using a roster spot for that. Got to be careful in that situation. Uh, only one of those periods is a Monday through Thursday with only two starts. So even if you would sit them that week, you get 78 of the 81 home games without using a single road start. So just something to keep in mind when drafting Rockies this season. I mean, that's a huge advantage for those of you playing under PC. Obviously, if you're playing in a weekly league on Yahoo or on ESPN or any other site, like not a huge advantage. I do like that if you're if you're one of those people that you play in that home league, that ESPN home league or Yahoo home league, and you know you're going to make the playoffs, uh, then yeah, maybe uh, you're, you're you want to invest in some of those Rockies uh, hitters for those playoffs uh, to make sure you've got kind of a, a little bit of distinct advantage once playoff time comes around. But for those of us playing NFBC, being able to play 80 of 81 home games without having to play any away games is huge. And I've already taken advantage of it because you told me about it in uh, uh, in Arizona. And I was all like, oh, great. I'm moving up some Rockies up my board now in, in NFBC leagues. Yeah, it's pretty nice. The, the one guy that doesn't do as bad on the road and goes very late. And he's the one we were talking about when we were in Arizona is Charlie Blackman. And I think it's just because he's been around so long, he knows how to make those adjustments. He's a veteran uh, in that situation. Yeah. Jason, any thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, the weekly, I was just looking at it while you guys were talking the weekly for the weekly league players, that's where it gets tough. Cause you, you know, Kevin, you're right. The first, the first full week at home uh, for a scoring period doesn't happen until the week of May 22nd. Uh, and then there's a week off and there's another full week at home. And then, and then they kind of go into this pattern of I'm home, I'm out, I'm home, I'm out. They got this really sweet stretch between June, uh, between June 23rd and July 2nd where they're home, but they also have two days off in that homestand. Uh, and then they go to that scatter pattern again until you get until the end of August. And then August and September is nice because they have all but one period. Uh, that they're home the entire time. So um, as you guys were saying, that's really where it comes into play. So, um, you know, for NFBC, that was great to get brought up in Arizona. Um, and, you know, people that were there have already been applying it, Justin being one of them, to their drafts uh, on uh, on NFBC for that purpose. But it's one of those things, you know, if you are a weekly or a bi-weekly lineup um, or twice-weekly lineup uh, league, uh, it's something to pay attention to. All right, let's uh, let's talk some news and notes uh, uh, quickly. While uh, before we get into our uh, kind of topic, and our, our main topic is going to be some uh, players with big differences between their minimum pick and maximum pick on NFBC, and some interesting names on that list. But it's hot stove season, and we had a few trades go down, uh, and some non-tenders that went down uh, this last in the last few days. So I want to kind of speak on them. Let's start with the trades. Kyle Farmer gets traded from the Reds to the Twins. Kevin, do we care? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, first of all, we're going from the Great American Small Park to Minneapolis, which isn't nearly a, as nice a park for home runs, obviously. And second of all, playing time. Uh, right now, Kyle Farmer's probably the utility infielder and that's before we know if the twins are gonna 
attempt to re-sign Correa. We know the his teammates are advocating for that at the moment or bring in one of the other big free agent shortstops. So this is really interesting to me in DCs. I think his ADP is in the 390s, and I expect this to drop a lot. Uh, and if it does, I may be interested very late in DCs as things play out throughout the season. He could fall into more playing time. But in, in Fab Leagues right now, I, I think he's pretty much undraftable. Jason, what are your thoughts on Kyle Farmer moving to Minnesota? Uh, it's, it's actually a little weird for him. The the expected home runs, if you look at last year, the expected home runs actually bump him up a little bit in target field for whatever, I guess, his extreme pull. I'm going to hit it right down the line actually worked out well for him. So he, he had eight expected home runs for target field. Uh, you know, he's a, another high contact. The the Twins as a whole finished the league average for strikeout rate. You know, I think that comes down to you know, the fact that Miguel Sano wasn't in the lineup for a, a lot of it. And Luis Arias and his high contact ability was in it quite a bit. But, you know, they were 22% as a, as a lineup. And that's right about where uh, Kyle Farmer hits. Uh, and he's essentially a cheaper Gio uh, Urshela. They traded Urshela away, which we'll talk about in a minute. Similar profile in that they can both air quotes, play the left side of the infield. I would say Farmer is maybe a half-click better um, defender, and it's a insurance policy. If they decide they're not going to get in this high-priced shortstop market and they don't get any of these guys back uh, because what's currently on the roster, Farmer would be the best shortstop of that group, but that would be a gigantic uh, decline from the defense that they got out of, out of Korea for this one year, too. So, uh, I agree with Kevin that I do see him being a utility option there. Um, perhaps um, if he does, if he is going to get a lot of playing time, it would be at third base uh, because I'm still not sold on Arias being a first baseman. I could see him being a DH. He has all the defensive limitations in the world. They could use him at DH um, and then find uh, move Miranda over to first base and then free up third base for Kyle Farmer. Um, because they certainly let Urshela play that all year. And, and again, they're very similar in their defensive profile. So that's how I could see it shaking out. Yeah, I, th I think that would be the uh, best way for it to shake out. As the team's currently constructed, I, I tend to agree, though, that I think they will address some sort of shortstop. I don't know if it's going to be Correa. I don't know that they want to invest that kind of money again. Uh, though, I mean, it worked out just fine. I just don't know that. I, I think Correa wants a long-term deal this time around, and I don't know that the Twins are the team that's going to give that to him. Uh, I just, I hate this move for Cal Farmer. I do think he's going to be kind of a, a utility guy in a worse park. Um, I just, yeah, I, he's pretty much off my board, I think. I, I mean, I guess if he falls super, super late into D.C. in a draft and hold kind of league, it, it makes uh, a little bit of sense, but... Uh, I think at this point, you've got to project him for around 400 plate appearances, and he just doesn't have the offensive profile to make up for those lack of plate appearances. He's not going to hit a ton of home runs. He's not going to steal a ton of bases. Uh, and so he really needs volume to have value uh, in fantasy, and I just don't know that he is going to have that, especially when they've got guys like Nick Gordon, Royce Lewis. Uh, you would hope that Lewis is going to be healthy uh, coming into the season and that he'll finally get a full-time shot. Uh, at some point, if they don't sign, I don't Korea. think. I don't think Lewis. Is, the last thing I read on Lewis is that he is not going to be ready for the start of the season. Oh, okay. uh, the knee, the knee rehab. Uh, you know, I remember seeing something at one point, uh, but that's going to be a, a, an issue uh, for that. Uh, so, 
you know, I, I, I don't think he's ready. Uh, and so he's going to be slow out of camp. But I do recall seeing something a few weeks ago that that wasn't going to be a possibility. All right. Well, there you go. That, I mean, gives maybe Farmer an opportunity. And I mean, sometimes these things just work themselves out in terms of like having a spot. Guys get hurt, you know, thing, you know, guys just fall off completely. Uh, but I, I do expect the Twins to make more moves uh, other than just this this Farmer deal. So, uh, speaking of the Twins, they traded away Gio Urshela over to the Angels. Jason, what are your thoughts on Urshela playing for the Los Angeles Angels? I mean, it gives them some more. One of the problems we saw with the Angels this past season is they had no depth. Uh, and once they lost their guys to injury, there was a big gap. They had a haves and haves not roster. And when Rendon uh, was having his issues and, and Trout, is like we saw some guys um, get more playing time than they really needed to get. Uh, so that was a problem uh, with things. And so, you know, getting your shell over there gives them some insurance if they have another, if when uh, Rendon has another problem with injury. So it gives them some insurance there. Um, I'm no, I don't believe for a minute that he's there as the starting shortstop. I know that's what the depth charts say right now, but that can't be real. I mean, if you've watched Urshela lately, um, he's pretty good at getting to things hit at him. Uh, but I cannot believe that's the solution for shortstop. If it is, you know, I'm bumping their pitchers down. Uh, I just don't see how that's going to play out. But you know, to me, that's where it comes down. Um, I think he's one of these like offense for fantasy purposes. He's like a safe late vet type of guy where he should get some playing time with the Angels, a decent volume of it. Um, and he's got a, a low risk type of thing. But, you know, if if the Angels find themselves competitive, you know, somehow I mean, the Orioles did it this year. So anything's possible. Right. If the Angels find themselves somehow competitive, I don't see how they carry Urshela's limitations in the field on a everyday basis. Yeah, it's kind of a weird move. What, what are your thoughts, Kevin? Urshela in Los Angeles, any interest there? Yeah, I, I like this a little bit. Um, I, I, I think if they were put in a starting lineup out there today, he probably is starting at shortstop uh, a lot of the time, probably not every day. Uh, I think it's insurance for Anthony Rendon being injured again. Uh, Jeff Zimmerman tweeted this morning. He he thinks this means that Rendon might be moving to first base. Uh, so it, it's pretty interesting to me. I agree with Jason. There probably will be playing time one way or another for him. And again, it, it's a pretty big ballpark upgrade. I know ballpark factors are very volatile, uh, but their three-year rolling average on StatCast has them as the fourth best ballpark for home runs and uh, ESPN for 2022 had him in the same spot. So um, pretty nice upgrade uh, for ballpark there as well. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess he can play shortstop. I, I don't know that he's a very good shortstop. He's a much better defensive third baseman, which would make a lot of sense about Rendon moving to first base, but then where does Jared Walsh play? And does is this an indictment of Jared Walsh's kind of recovery from thoracic outlet surgery? And like Paul and I talked about recently, there's just no real data on what thoracic outlet surgery does for hitters. We, we have a little bit right. of data on pitchers, um, and it's not great data, uh, but we have real, really no idea of like how Jared Walsh is going to recover from this. Is, he, is this like Tommy John surgery where – for pitchers, it's a really, really devastating issue. And for hitters, they tend to come back just fine. 
I don't know. I don't, I don't think anybody really knows. So maybe this is an indictment of Jared Walsh. Maybe they decide Jared Walsh is going to go to the outfield uh, if he is healthy, um, which would seem a, a little weird. But right now, I think they have Mickey Moniak scheduled to play there and play left field. So, like, I, I don't know. I have kind of given up on trying to figure out what the Angels are doing or think they are doing because I don't think they really under, understand. It's the final year of Otani, man. They've, this is – to me, it's like if they could go out and find Carl, go find somebody. If, if if a Carlos Correa situation came up where they didn't get the multi-year deal that they wanted, but they're good with a one-year high, you know, go do it. This is your year. And if they say if they've already said they're not going to trade Otani, um, then try to do something this year with this squad. Uh, I mean, there's when well, you've got the talent that they have on paper, they have the potential to be. Uh, and you know, they went out and got Tyler Anderson, so that's like a step. Um, that's a baby step, but it's a step um, uh, in the direction of doing that. Uh, but to me, it's like if they could go out there and find a free agent that is willing to get a one-year pillow contract, here, this is it. Yeah, I mean, I guess you 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 kind of try to load up as much as you can and see what you can do. you got two generational talents and only one of them uh, after uh, 2023. So I guess, I, I don't know, man. This just seems like such a mess of an organization. I, I think the pillow contract is the only way it happens as well. Yeah. Even though they've announced that they are not trading Otani, at least in this offseason, if there is a pending sale, uh, they're not going to add a long-term contract to this team. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that they do, but like, like, what kind of guy is getting a pillow contract this year? Like, Gio Urshela. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, just looking at, like, the free agency kind of, like, guys, like, I don't, I mean, Elvis Andrews, like he's a shortstop that's probably going to get a one year deal somewhere, but Wait, he's Andrews is a free agent. Yeah. Well, the, but the best part about it, he's a free agent. Oakland's still paying him because remember that contract, that player option, oh, that's right, part yeah. Of it, yeah, some of that got kicked in. Cause that was the thing I, I remember reading is there was something about Andrus and that his contract, if he hit a certain amount of playing time, he became the next option guaranteed. Maybe he fell short. And that's why he's a free agent. But I remember hearing something towards the end of the season that he was eligible. Like if he hit a certain plateau, then another year kicked in and Oakland was going to have to pay him. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine any of the big four shortstops, Danzy Swanson, Trey Turner's, Andrew Bogart, or Correa taking one-year deals. Yeah, like those just, no, all those guys are getting long-term deals. At worst, they're getting the deal that Correa got last year, which is like a big three-year deal with opt-outs um so like your options become jose iglesias elvis andrews um willie castro Lednis diaz like those teams aren't or those guys aren't making your team that much better so uh i mean that rendon that rendon contract is just atrocious right now for them uh moving on uh eliza hernandez uh was traded to the mets from the marlins the marlins have a ton of of pitching depth, so they have uh, guys to spare. Uh, Jason, do you think that Hernandez has a chance to break that rotation in New York? No. He's not a starting pitcher. He's a reliever. Yeah. He is a reliever. He should not be in that rotation. We have say we saw news a couple of weeks ago that they're considering putting Seth Lugo in the rotation, uh, and perhaps that's that's the role that Elisir Hernandez could – he's not a starting pitcher. He has a great slider. Uh, if if I were running the Mets, I take him, and I was like, look, you know, I would be like, 
throw that pitch more, a lot more. Stop using your fastball the way you're using because it's getting crushed up. The problem was he had no no off speed at all, uh, and you could just stack a lefty and just crush it uh, with him. And now he's developed somewhat of a changeup, but the fastball has mostly been garbage. But if he's throwing the slider a lot and keeping guys looking slider, suddenly the fastball looks a little better uh, for that. So if I'm the Mets, I take him, I put him in the bullpen, tell him to throw a bunch of sliders until his arm falls off. Keep him out of the rotation. He's not a starting pitcher. Kevin, any interest in Hernandez and even in like a DC? Not really. I, I agree with everything Jason said. Uh, if he does throw the slider more and it, it seems to be working because even the slider wasn't as good this past season as it has been in the past. Um, but I, I think it, I, I know he's going in like the six hundreds in DCs, but I think there's similar guys, relievers that aren't going to start, probably not going to get any save opportunities, but if you're using them for ratios and, and a few strikeouts, I, I think there's other guys I would prefer. Yeah. I, don't have much interest in Hernandez here. Yeah, I don't either. I think this is more about uh, the Mets trying to kind of cheaply acquire relievers because, uh, as mentioned on on previous episodes that I've done with Paul, uh, the reliever market sucks. The relief market's really, really bad, and so they're going to be guys that are traded that were either you know former swingmen or uh, former starters that are going to be moved into bullpen roles on teams, uh, especially when they're kind of cost-controlled like Hernandez is. So I think it's a good move for the Mets, but as far as fantasy goes, probably doesn't have very much value. Uh, the last trade we'll talk about before we get to the, the four non-tender guys I want to talk about uh, real quick is Kevin Newman was traded from the Pirates to the Reds. Kevin, do you think Kevin... Is uh, got some extra value moving out of PNC over to Great America Small Park. I thought I was going to be more excited about this move than I am now that I've taken a look uh, at Kevin Newman's past few seasons. Uh, he just doesn't hit the ball hard enough, even for Great American Small Park. I don't think um, he will get the playing time. Uh, so if he's he's there in DCs, I I could see taking him. Uh, really late as a, as a guy that I'm hoping I don't need, but if I do, he's going to get me the plate appearances. But other than 2019, when we know the ball was the huge factor, uh, his home run per fly ball rate is under 3% every season since. And his hard hit metrics, he, under 30%. And what's funny about this is his hard hit percentage, although it's slightly, has been higher every year since 2019, but still bad. Uh, it's just that's how bouncy the ball was in 2019. So I'm not as excited about this as I thought I might be, uh, but there will be playing time there, I believe, um, if, if he's going late enough in draft and hold leagues. Jason, you got any interest in Kevin Newman? Uh, I have slight interest uh, in a draft and hold format with him only because it could be a sneaky source of steals. It's like, you know, 2019, obviously, throw that away. Uh, and he's had a lot of batting average variance over the past couple of years, something like an 85-point swing um, in his batting average. So it's like batted ball luck is where the value. But he still has, you know, his home to first speed's pretty good. Uh, and so, like, he has the potential 
to be a double-digit stolen base guy. So, you know, in, in a late format uh, in, in draft and hope where you're just looking to plug bodies uh, towards the uh, – as guys fall apart, uh, you know, he's somebody that I would be interested in taking very late. Yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of where he probably belongs is late in the D.C. Uh, because he could be like a – I don't know, like a seven-homer um, – 12, 13 stolen base guy that's going to kind of give you volume. And, you know, one of the things in those draft and hold leagues is that you need volume. You need guys who are going to play all the time, and you don't want him necessarily as a starter. But injuries happen, and you can't pick these guys up. You'll pick guys who emerge off the waiver wire. So Kevin Newman is one of those guys that I think will be uh, become a very popular uh, late-round pick in DCs. The problem is... If he becomes so popular moving from PNC to Great America Ballpark uh, that he may actually end up not being worth where he's going. Uh, We saw on Twitter after the trade, uh, you know, some really good names, um, big names in the industry talking about how, hey, they had already been invested. James Anderson, uh, one has come to mind. Um, They'd already invested in, in Newman a few times and they're really glad that they got him, you know, at such a huge discount. And I just worry that it pushes him up over actually better players. Um, and so uh, I think it all kind of depends. If he's going outside top 500 picks, great. But I think he's going to start moving inside of that. And if he does, like, do I really care that much? I don't I don't know that I do. Uh, let's, uh, let's move on and talk about some of these um, uh, non-tendered guys. I, I, and, and we don't have to go too deep into them because we have no idea where they're necessarily going to be playing. Um but I just want your guys' thoughts on whether or not you'd be drafting them at their current price today. Uh, and uh, we have to start with the guy who got to kind of do a mea culpa on. Uh, we were, Paul and I were talking about Cody Ballinger and his potential to be non-tender, uh, I think, on the last episode. And I said, like, I just don't think the Dodgers are going to non-tender him. I, I just would be very, very surprised. The guy who you know recently won an MVP award that you let him go, I understand that it's, you know, he has not produced anywhere close to what his contract was going to be, but I just couldn't imagine they'd let him out into the market like that. And I was absolutely wrong. Uh, they non-tendered him, and uh, he's now a free agent. Kevin, would you draft Cody Ballinger today, knowing that he doesn't have a team right now, but he, he's sure to at some point? I don't think so. Not without knowing the landing spot and and seeing something uh typically i i don't like it with when myself or or anybody else says oh we have to see something first typically that's too late uh but bellinger what he's done i mean even in his amazing 2019 he got progressively worse as the season went on he won that mvp by the end of may and then got worse he would for the rest of the season, he was still good, but he was more like a 280, 35 home run hitter for, for a season the rest of the way that year. Great season, not an MVP season. Uh, so, And then each season since then, uh, we, we've seen it. And we know it's probably at least somewhat injury-related. That's the only thing that makes him intriguing at all to me is if it has all been due to injury and he gets healthy uh, and a new team can help him figure this out. Uh, There is the change of scenery thing typically I like with players in this situation, but 
if the Dodgers can't figure it out and help you figure it out, I, I don't know who can. Jason, any chance you are drafting Cody Bellinger? Currently going at pick 202 on an FBC. Yeah, so that's where at that price, sure, put me in. I mean, I see he's got a, a mid of 151, high of 245, or a low of 245, rather. So at that price, put, you know, Kevin made a good point about, you know, sometimes I've got to see, you know, people want to see something before they do something. Well, again, that could be too late uh, with this because where he ends up could immediately impact his value. To, to reiterate one of Kevin's points, from June 1st of 2019 until the end of this past season, his triple slash line is 218, 299, 423. That's not MVP. That's not even, that's not even uh, replacement level talent for an outfielder. That's bad. Uh, simply put, I mean, yeah, the 68 home runs are cool, but, uh, you know, 31 out of 37 stolen bases, that's cool. And he still has that speed, but you know, the 299 on base percentage, that's not getting there. I mean, you look at all the, you know, one of the beauties of StatCast page, you can go there and look at the trends in the areas. It's like, he has a, you know, last four years is expected weighted on base average was 99, 85, and it was six and 10. Uh, the last two years. His XBA was a single digit percentile the past two years. And so, yeah, it got bad. And the change of scenery thing, uh, I, I believe it applies here, just like I'm going to say the same thing about Dom Smith when we get there, too. You know, the expectations for Bellinger have always been sky high. Him winning that MVP early didn't calm any of those down. Uh, and now it's just been a matter. You look at how things have gone for him uh, as far as plate. Just, it just seems like the old like the old NBA adage with John Stark, shooters shoot their way out of slumps. Well, he's tried to swing his way out of a slump, but it hasn't gotten any better. And so perhaps if, if Bellinger can find a market where the, the the spotlight of expectations aren't so bright on him and he doesn't have 15 media members in his face reminding him how much he's struggling, perhaps there's that can happen for him. Uh, you now it's just a matter of you know who's going to want to pay because you know you. The representation is going to want to get a huge deal for him, but you look at that, what we just said, over 1,562 plate appearances, he's been a 93 WRC+. plus. He can still play defense. He still has all the tools, but we don't know what's happening from the neck up. And, and so at the current market price, yeah, outside of the top 200, I'm still willing to pay for the upside. Uh, but that said, it's you know it could be it could be a flop. Uh, because if, if this is the real, if this is the new Cody Bellinger, you know, there's a lot of that out there. I can go find much safer options, but in, outside the top 200, I'm in because remember this time last year, we were having the same conversation as a, you know, as an industry and he was still going well within the top 100. Uh, if memory serves me correct. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was out then, uh, but I, I like, I remember Vlad Sedler talking, like he was one of the guys inside the top 100. This is going to be, and, and there were a lot of people on, on board with it and justifying that pick. Um, so if you thought that he was top 100 potential last year, you know, you should be comfortable taking him outside the top 200 uh, and just move your comfort level up there. But, uh, you know, if he gets in a right, if he lands in the right situation, he could have a significant ADP bump. Uh, so you early drafters, you know, if he's still sitting out there, that would be what, round 15? Uh, you know, we get the, you're in a 12 team format 15 times 12 is 180 so if he's still sitting out there after the 15th round i wouldn't hesitate to jump if you're in a 15 team format that's going to put you roughly in the uh, 12th round math wise yeah. same mm -hmm. yeah 12, 13th round uh so you know 
again, wouldn't hesitate to pull the trigger in that case, but I'm not getting ahead early right now until um, until we see where he lands. Like if he did that one year pillow contract with the Angels, it's still Los Angeles. It's still the same people, um, the state media right now. It may not they may not all be there, but it's still going to be multiple places. He just needs a good place where he can, you know focus on him and not of what he used to be. There's still a lot of good in him. Uh, and maybe Ben Kenobi can save him. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm probably still out. Like I, like I, I, I kind of tend to agree with Kevin that I, I, I don't like when people say, even though I say it all the time uh, that I want to see something from him before I'm willing to draft him again. But uh, having no idea where he's going to land um, though, he could end up back in Los Angeles. This would be perfect for the Angels, right? Like, in, improve that outfield defense uh, a little bit. Uh, you don't have to worry about Mickey Moniak then playing left field. Um, you don't have to give a long-term contract because I'm sure he will get some sort of pillow deal. Uh, I think it'll be similar to the kind of deal that Noah Syndergaard got last year with the Angels, which was like, you know, one year but just greater than what the qualifying offer was going to uh, end up giving him. I think that Bellinger probably gets one year, maybe like twenty million or something like that, which is higher than the projected eighteen million dollar arbitration that he was probably gonna uh, get. So, I, I mean, I think his price is gonna fall based on this, right? He's, he's currently going around pick two hundred. Uh, he's you know likely not gonna be with the Dodgers uh, next year. People will uh, kind of. Um, won't be willing to drop him quite as highly because of that fact. You know, the runs and RBIs around him not going to be as good on pretty much any other team in baseball. So if he drops to like 250-ish, uh, which I think is within the realm of possibility, other outfielders going at 250 are Andrew Benatendi, who doesn't have a team, Michael Conforto, who doesn't have a team, uh, Gavin Lux, who has, is still on the Dodgers and probably has a little bit more playing time now that Bellinger isn't going to be there. Um, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Trey Mancini, who doesn't have a team yet. Uh, Randall Grichak. I mean, none of these guys are like huge necessarily difference makers in the way that Bellinger could be if Bellinger gets right. Right. So I guess around 250, I would be interested but man, I, I still think it's a huge gamble. And I think it really depends on the construct of your team at pick 250. If you've already taken some huge gambles or if you haven't. Uh, and if you haven't, then may, I think maybe Ballinger is, is a gamble worth taking. But if you have, I, I think you probably need to just ignore him and, and move on to a guy who's a little bit safer. So uh, moving right along to the next guy, uh, we've got Brian Anderson, who is non tendered by. Uh, the Marlins, uh, Jason. Any any interest in Brian Anderson if he uh, finds a new spot? Or are you draft? If you were drafting today, would you even consider him? I would. Uh, you know what? I like Brian Anderson as a player overall. Uh, you know, I, I really like the dual eligibility, the fact that he can play third base and right field, uh, and he retains that this year for fantasy drafting purposes. Uh, one of the better throwing arms in baseball, uh, and so. It, but the the range is an issue. That said. It's like I'm intrigued with him because 2019 is the outlier of the power. It just that, you know, the 20 home runs he hit that year, just add that to the baseball. Uh, but everything else he does is repeatable. I mean, the Marlins, one of the things they talked about this winter was wanting to find team players that could make more consistent contact. They struck out a bunch as a team last year. Uh, and, you know, Anderson, his strikeout rate is slightly below league average. But one of the things that pulled him down last year was, you know, a, year that he really struggled to hit right-handed pitching. He hit 215 against them last year. 
um, and previously hit 278. So we see these year-to-year -year things, but this was by far his worst year against righties, and that pulled down his overall batting average. Uh, but that said, he's normally been a guy that is very accepting of his walks, gets on base a lot, uh, and has hit for a uh, league average, if not slightly better than league average. So when you look at a guy that has that type of versatility um, in the in the uh, on the left side on third base and the outfield, and has that kind of offensive profile, I mean, this would be the only time I'm going to mention this really on this podcast. This feels like a future Ray uh, uh, because it has all of the makings of the players they have been targeting lately, like Harold Ramirez, Isak Paredes. And this feels like a future Ray. That said, with all those righty at bat, righty bats around, I don't know how, if they can afford another one, but that really feels like what this could be. Uh, but I do like Brian Anderson as a player. I always have. Uh, it'd be cool to have Brian Anderson uh, calling Brian Anderson's game, uh, and then maybe they can play Milwaukee so we can have Brian Anderson calling Milwaukee's game, Brian Anderson doing these color broadcasts with Brian Anderson at the plate. Um, that would be fun. I'm I'm gonna uh, see your uh, he's a future Ray and raise you, which that he giant. he's a future giant. Um, <laughs> another glorious place. <laughs> yeah, like he he could be um, kind of uh, a guy. Well, he's a guy who could play multiple positions, right? He could play all over the diamond. Um, he he's probably best suited to be a platoon guy. At this point, I have, I have huge concerns about the contact profile and what we saw this year. We saw uh, his worst zone contact rate uh, uh, in his career, but his highest uh, zone swing percentage in his career. Like those two things combining, not a good, uh, not a good thing. Um, I, I don't want Brian Anderson on any of my fantasy teams. I just don't think he matters and has any sort of upside really, and much less we have no idea what the playing time is. I think he'll be a utility kind of infield, outfield kind of guy for whatever team he lands on. Uh, I mean, unless he lands on a team like the Pirates well, or something like is. that. Like I, don't want him. I don't want him with I don't want him with the playing time volume that he had in 18 and 19. Because I, 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 I would never project somebody mm -hmm. that, that, like him to have the 670. Uh, you know, if you could find a way, and that's one of the things the Giants have done well, just like Tampa Bay and a couple of other teams, is set people up for success. I mean, Darren Roth was a non-draftable player a couple of years ago. The Giants were like, let's take him, let's use him in these situations, uh, and it worked out really well for him. Uh, and so uh, Wilmer Flores, I mean, there's a few examples there, but if you could find somebody and find their strengths and accentuate that, I have, you know, we were, we were talking DC earlier with Newman. It's like end game, third base. Uh, I need a, a fifth outfielder type of situation in a 15 team league. Um, there are more starts to throw um, than this than this profile, depending on where he lands. If you're looking at him to bring home 500 plus plate appearances, uh, I think you'll be left wanting uh, by the end of the season. But if you get into a situation that accentuates his positives, uh, there's there's still some good in him here. Kevin, what are your thoughts on uh, on Brian Anderson? I, I like Brian Anderson. I, I am really intrigued to see where he lands. Uh, and, and I agree with most everything both of you guys have said. The one thing I would add to Jason's point is in the short in 2020, he backed up the power that he had in 2019 with 11 home runs in just and playing 59 of the 60 games. Unfortunately, that's the last season we've seen him healthy. So that is the issue. But at his draft cost, is ADP in in the 560s in DCs, but 
a, such a wide range. He's, there's over a 300 pick range for where he's been taken uh, as minimum 396 and maximum 702. Uh, if, if he's Father hanging out played, there, you know, his father plays NFBC and then everybody else. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, at, at his, at his average cost there in, in the five sixties or even later where he's going in some drafts, I actually, I absolutely will take a gamble in draft and holds and the, he will not be drafted in most fab leagues where we're only drafting 30 or so players, even in a 15 team league probably still going to be available uh, at that first waiver wire period. So he's a guy I want to keep a really close eye on in spring training. I, I think these last two seasons, uh, I'm chalking it all up to health. If he's healthy, I think he lands somewhere. Cause he's such a, not just the versatility, he's a good defender uh, with that versatility. That will keep him in some lineups uh, if he's healthy. I mean, he was not a good defender this year. Like if you look at the numbers, the dump, the, I mean, the numbers say he was not a very good defender. That could be injuries, though. Like you, like you mentioned, he's been dealing with a plethora of injuries over the last two years. I just, I don't know that he's special enough, like, the, to warrant, like, especially without any sort of role right now. Um, I think you definitely have to wait until you see where he signs, because if he, if he's projected to be a bench bat for for any team, like. Who cares? He's going to have a better park, right? He's going to get out of Miami. More than likely, he's going to have a better park. But he's also a guy that hits the ball on the ground like 50% of the time. Uh, so you, you kind of add that with a guy who probably doesn't have a crap ton of power to begin with. I don't know. Just seems boring to me, um, even if he does have a, a, a bigger role. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about a guy who uh, may be a KBO superstar at some point. Uh, but has not yet been able to do it at the major league level. I'm talking about Dominic Smith, the aforementioned Dominic Smith, uh, who is non-tendered by the Mets. Uh, Kevin, do you think that him landing on another team is going to give him an opportunity to actually have the breakout that some people thought he was going to have a few years ago? Probably not. I, I think I, I think he's a, a platoon guy. I, I think I I. I really don't know <laughs> when it comes to Dom Smith. I, 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 he's so perplexing. We were really excited after the 2019, of course, and then 2020. 2020, he actually played in 50 of the 60 games and, and hit another 10 home runs in about the same number of plate appearances that he had the 11 home runs in 2019. That's why we were all excited. That's why we were hoping to see him get every day at bats he got 493 plate appearances then in 2021 and stayed at that 11 home runs in two and a half times the number of plate appearances uh i i just don't think he's going to be an everyday player wherever he ends up and so i'm not really interested jason are you interested in dom smith like I said earlier with Bellinger, this is a guy that the expectations since you know since his prospect pedigree and him coming up to the major league level and having that early success in the 2020 season, you know, has been you know the spotlight has been on him. And then the you know him trying to play through the shoulder the shoulder issue in 2021 that eventually needed him to have surgery um, disrupted his recovery in the offseason. You know, and then you know, bounce back and forth. I saw him play. Uh, here in Charlotte a few times when uh, Syracuse came through to play the Knights. 
look good to me. Triple A numbers look good. I mean, really want to see him in a different situation uh, where, again, where the expectations aren't going to be there like he is the next greatest thing. Uh, it kind of reminds me, you know, profile everything, uh, you know, about how James Loney was uh, when he left the Dodgers and, and was ended up to find another uh, place. So if he could find, you know, Pittsburgh would have been a great place, but they traded for G-Man Choi. And apparently that's yeah. where they want to go. And, you know, maybe they do something with the Nationals and say, hey, go there. But you know, he needs a place where he can go, re, uh, you know, find himself healthy because last year he was, you know, playing from the recovering shoulder surgery and dealing with an ankle issue that disrupted his summer as well. So he hasn't been healthy uh, in two years. Uh, and two years prior to that, everybody was like, oh, my God, look at this. This is what's happening. He's still young enough to rediscover some of that. Uh, and so I want to see where he lands. And he is, like, free. I and mean, he, he is – you can wait. You don't need to draft him in, in a – in a, free, in a free agent league, um, his ADP is kind of in the bottom of the 600s right now. So in a, in a draft and hold, uh, where you're taking 50 rounds, easily easily taking him um, round 40 later uh, while he's still out there. Because, uh, again, there's I've said this a few times now, there's still some good in him somewhere. Uh, we need to see now that he's healthy and away from the expectations of the New York media market, what's possible. Uh, his ADP currently is 711. Um, and, uh, that, that probably drops. He's only been drafted in 12 of the 26 leagues that have gone on. So, I mean, in, in the ma vast majority of leagues so far, he's not even been drafted in a 50 round draft and hold. And those, almost all of those drafts have been 50 rounds and 15 teams. So that's a lot of picks, uh, that went before him in a lot of drafts. Um, so he's free. I mean, he's legit free. I know people don't like when when we you hear uh, analysts on podcasts go, "This guy is free." No, but Dom Smith is legitimately free. Um, he, he it seems like he got picked four twenty one in one draft, and that's about it. So uh, the rest of them, he's been going in the seven hundred. So um, I still have some belief he can figure it out at least as a platoon bat. Uh, the problem is. You know, last year he only played first base, so he doesn't have the outfield eligibility, so it doesn't even give you kind of the multi-positional eligibility or the eligibility in the position that is weaker uh, like the outfield. And I just don't know if he's going to continue to be a first base-only guy. Like, what team needs him as a bench bat or, you know, potentially you know giving an opportunity to play, you know, part-time as a role? And I think that's going to be the hardest thing, and one of the reasons I made the joke that he could be just a KBO superstar is he may not find a job um, in, in the majors. So, and maybe a place like Korea or Japan ends up being where he can go and revitalize his career. So uh, I have no problem taking a dart throw on him super, super late last couple rounds of a 50 round draft and hold. But uh, until we know that he has a job somewhere, at least a minor league uh, contract uh, with an invitation to spring training, um, I'm going to be very, very rare not to like load up on a bunch of shares in because I think you could legitimately get a zero from him this year. Um, moving on to the last guy, uh, Luke Voigt. Speaking of first baseman, uh, was non-tendered by the Washington Nationals. Um, Jason, what are your thoughts on Luke Voigt, and does this just solidify Joey Manessas as their their opening day first baseman? Yeah, working backwards first. Yes, uh, believe it does. But that said. I'm still very interested in Luke Voigt because he's one of these players when you watch him, uh, the at-bats, it, it's it's weird when you watch him because the at-bats aren't giveaways. I mean, he, he works a very tough plate appearance. 
Uh, you know, you can, he will spoil sliders away. Uh, you try to get him up, you try to get him out up with velocity, but he'll spoil that too. So he's a tough out. Um, and we saw in 2020, you know, when he led the league in home runs over that 60 game season, uh, when he's right, he's still very good. I mean, he's an elite ball barrel, a barreler, if that's a phrase, you know, you still look at his metrics, he can really hit the snot out of a baseball. Um, but he struggled with health. He's had oblique injuries. He's had hand injuries. He's had issues the past few seasons. And uh, what was it? What do I have a note? Uh, two of the past three qualified seasons, he's, his his swing and miss rate has been a single digit. Uh, his percentile has been a single digit number. So even though he has very disciplined plate appearances, he doesn't really chase a lot. Um, he will swing and miss a lot. But he also makes some really hard contact around that swing and miss. Uh, he's also one of these guys I'm intrigued in because in a reduced shifting world, he should benefit. I mean, he is one of the guys the league absolutely puts three guys on the left side of the infield against him. Um, and so he and he has absolutely no foot speed, so he can't run anything out. Uh, so but that's where it'll get uh, in, a, in a reduced shifting world. Uh, he becomes a little more intriguing on that because he, you know, that hard contact, whether it's on the ground, whether it's on the air, can help get through that infield a little bit. So, um, I'm in, in the right ballpark and situation, uh, I'm intrigued by Voight, but I also would uh, be remiss if I didn't mention he looked at times extremely disinterested in playing for the Nationals. Uh, you know, having gone from playing on a perennial contender like the Yankees, then going to the Padres, and then getting dumped to the Nationals. I remember a couple of times there was a play where it's like, Wow, you know, you really made a good effort on that one there, kid. Um, so I, you know, if he like if he were to go to Cincinnati, that would be a lot of fun. Uh, but is he is he gonna be willing to play for a team that is gonna be out of it first week of the season? Uh yeah, obviously if you know he were to go to Colorado and somehow they're like, here, go, go hit and play DH. Yay, that's fun. So again, right ballpark situation because there's a lot of power there but again there's also the risk of the injuries which have piled up the last couple of years but they can just say go be a dh um somewhere in the right lineup in the right ballpark there's a potential for like a cj crone type rebound because this is the same kind of conversation we were having with crone when he was a free agent you know a lot of power not a good fielder a lot of swing and miss has had some problems with injuries in the right situation he could be well but he ends up in colorado um and all of a sudden you know he's been better than anybody expected in colorado uh so it may you know he's voice unlikely to get that kind of home but there's other ballparks that could be a nice fit for him as well kevin what are your thoughts on luke Voigt? worth drafting right now uh it really depends he's got a wide range and this, I, I agree with it, most everything Jason just said, and that makes him very intriguing. Uh, I don't like him. I don't think at 231, which is his minimum, but when you start approaching 389, anywhere in the 300s, I think, very intriguing where he might end up. Uh, because when, when you're looking at it, these drafts, uh, there, there's so many things we're trying to concentrate on early in drafts, right? Uh, now we want a, a, a catcher or two. We want a couple relievers. And so we start missing out on things. And if you still need a corner, uh, as, as you get to that point, some of the guys going after him, Eduardo Escobar, Patrick Wisdom, Wilmer Flores, Isaac Paredes, I'd much rather snag Luke Voigt 
uh, and take a chance there and see where he ends up. Uh, if and I get him in that 300 or later range, which uh, it appears is happening in a lot of drafts. Yeah, I think for me, it all depends on if he's going to get a full-time role somewhere or just like somewhat close to, you know, a halftime role. Um, and the hard part is finding him a spot which he can just be a DH only guy on a team like that actually will employ like a full-time DH uh, because defensively, I don't think he's he's worth teams putting out there at first base unless they really need a power infusion. There's one spot that I can think of that makes a lot of sense for Luke Foyt. It's on a team that is competing. They just won their division. It's on a team that doesn't want to spend a ton of money. So Luke Voigt is a cheap way to fill that DH spot, and they don't currently have a DH. That's the Cleveland Guardians. I wouldn't mind that. I think that would be a great spot for him to potentially get 450-500 plate appearances uh, on a team that you know is is still good and, um, and in a park that I think would play well for him. So uh, maybe if he ends up on a team like Cleveland, uh, I'll be interested. But currently where he is going, I don't know that I want to take the risk uh, that he is one of those guys that doesn't sign or um, or ends up having to sign on like a, a kind of a, a really reduced role. So I think I'm going to wait until he signs before I draft him. But Cleveland, go ahead, pick up the phone. You don't want to spend a lot of money. Luke Voigt's not going to cost very much. All right, let's uh, let's move on and talk about our main topic of the day, and that is uh, players with big differences in their min and their max. And uh, there's no one that has got a weirder min max, and for good reason than Bryce Harper. His minimum pick six. He's gone six overall in a draft. His max pick so far ninety eight. That will likely drop. Kevin, is there any chance you will draft Bryce Harper? I don't think so. He'd have to drop much further, I think, until we, well, and we may get more information this coming week. Uh, you know, right now, is, is he going to be out a few weeks or a few months? We still don't know. I don't believe. I uh, haven't seen anything other than they don't even know if the UCL surgery is going to be Tommy John or not, last I read. So this is going to be a, a, a big week. Uh, if you're starting to draft this week, keep an eye on it. it and if later, then you will have a little more information. Uh, I go back to, you know, Shohei Otani was a pretty good hitter recovering from Tommy John and not pitching. Uh, I, I don't know if, if that would be the case with Bryce Harper. We just don't know how long he's going to be out. One thing I would point out is we don't really know where he's going in DCs yet. Uh, after this news because there hasn't been one that started after we heard about the surgery and been completed to be added into the ADP. Uh, that 98 max ADP is probably either one of the new gladiator leagues or a cut line uh, because his max on DCs is still 23 still a, a second round pick there uh, which I don't see happening uh, in any draft since this news until we know more Jason what are your thoughts on Bryce Harper are you taking him this year uh not in the first round uh <laughs> I mean with the uh with the surgery he's having the surgery Wednesday uh so happy Thanksgiving to him uh kind of weird to have it <laughs> the day before Thanksgiving 
so he's having that surgery. It is UCL surgery. Uh, we don't know if it'll be the full-blown Tommy John or if they'll do the the, the brace type of thing uh, situation. The one that keeps coming back to me, I mean, Kevin, you mentioned uh, Otani. I don't remember the date uh, for that, but like the one that keeps coming back to me is Carlos Quentin. Uh, Quentin, to me, is like the highest profile position player that we saw playing uh, the outfield the very next season. Now, Quentin got his Tommy John surgery right as is right as he was drafted or right after he was drafted in June of 2003. And then he played 114 games in the outfield in the minors uh, for the Diamondbacks in 2004. Uh, 2004. Uh, so he, you know, so he was able to play in the outfield because he had to. Uh, but again, that surgery was June. Now add five more months onto it. And if, if Harper has, let's say he has full-blown Tommy John surgery like Quentin had, right? And so, you know, six-month recovery time, as I'm sitting down to plan what I want to do with Bryce Harper, I am fully expecting him to miss the first two months of the season. If that doesn't happen, then I'm pleasantly surprised. But as I look at him, I'm knocking a third off his value because I'm expecting him to miss a third of the season. Um, and, you know, when he comes back, maybe he has to. Indeed. We've already stories about him saying he's going to cut back a little bit on on how he swings. It, it, who knows what, how that's going to play. But I'm expecting him to miss at least a third of the season. Um, therefore, I'm letting other people take the risk. And somebody else will. If they get if they get the reward, more power to them. Uh, but I'm, I'm not. I just don't see a, a path forward for him to play uh, in the major leagues before Memorial Day. And I couldn't agree more. And I think I talked about this with Paul in a recent episode. So I won't rehash everything, but at the end of the day, like when are we expecting to get outfield eligibility? Are they going to let him just play the outfield as soon as he's ready to come back? Or is he going to DH? And he's UT only uh, in leagues that require 20 game minimums. I just, I don't know. I just don't want that risk. I'm not, you know, the one thing I've learned about these draft and hold leagues is that uh, injuries pile up pretty quickly uh, and they don't have any sort of like, regular time of year for it and so so like i've had drafts and hold leagues where all of a sudden i'm starting eric sogart who is like the last guy off the bench for the brewers at shortstop because i've lost tatis and mondesi you know and you just got to be really careful not inviting injuries onto your team in any format uh but especially these formats where you can't pick up guys off the waiver wire so the new gladiator league the new um like someone took him uh, kevin is uh, is right that 98 was in the one of the gladiator leagues for those who don't know what that format is is you you draft 23 guys um nine pitchers and 14 hitters but no bench spot there's also no positions so you can draft a ut only guy but that person is rostering Bryce Harper on their active lineup oh, yeah. on all year, uh, you know, uh, it does not matter like that. He's not potentially going to play the first two months that just killed that guy. Like whoever took him, even at 98, like that's an awful pick right now. So, um, he's probably yeah. going, Justin, whatever. It, I, I'm <laughs> sorry. Like I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like, you're taking a zero in one of your 14 hitter spots for some period of time. And you just don't want to invite that onto your team. So, uh, yeah, it's a good I'm, point about the health too, because even in the, in the draft and hold that I won this year, uh, the last the last few weeks of the season, I was out of healthy. I had one pitcher uh, at the ending end of September that I could swap in, and then that guy got hurt, so I was down to the nine pitchers yeah. that I was using, uh, and I had two guys on my bench as hitters that I could roll into my lineup. 
that were not out for the year in the minors or never made the majors type of thing that we could we were I think we started that draft in November. Uh, so I was down to two bats and no arms the final two weeks of the season. And I didn't jump in the first place until the final three weeks of the season. So I, I believe the guy that was leading the league um, had an attrition problem. And I just eventually caught up on uh, caught up in a number of areas, but heading into the final weekend of the season, there were three of us. Uh, that could have uh, won the league, and I ended up holding on uh, because I had enough guys to, uh, you know, hold hold the water off from flooding the boat. But if I have one more injury, I would have been done. Yeah, and I mean, I, I maintain that if you're going to play in a 50 round draft and hold, um, you can play on FBC or on fan tracks. I think are the two spots that have them right now. So for those you can't play on FBC because you're in a state that doesn't have it, you can go play the format over on fan tracks. Take five stashes, max five stashes out of the 50. And I think one of the mistakes people make is try to take too many. And if you're only going to take five out of the 50 as a stash, it shouldn't be one of your first top hundred like picks. Like, right. It shouldn't be like, it should not be like a guy that you're taking, you know, with one of those, you know, first 10 rounds. And you've got to take that with Bryce Harper. And I just, I, you shouldn't be doing it. I maintain I won that league when I took uh, Stephen Kwan in the 38th round and Cal Raleigh in the 39th. That's what <laughs> ended up with me. Those were late stashes for me. Great picks. My, my mm -hmm. Cal Raleigh love was was well known. And I had him as, as I think I took him in that case. He was my third catcher. But it was just like, oh my God, you know, this I love this guy. He's still sitting there. I was considering taking a C2. I'm just I'm taking him now. But th those were what won me the league, uh, ultimately, because I had some bad picks early on. But getting those two guys that late was huge. Uh the next guy we're gonna talk about is Kenley Jansen. Now his min max is pretty large, uh, which is min is 47 and his max is 143, so almost a hundred pick difference. And that's in large part because he has not signed with the team. We expect him to sign with the team, and there have been reports recently that the Giants are interested in bringing him in, uh, which will have an effect on a different guy we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Uh, but, Jason, what are your thoughts on Kenley Jansen? Is he a guy you're taking a dart throw on right now? All right, so I, I, I pulled the, the ADP growth from month over month uh, today and looked at it. Jansen's already jumped up 14 picks. He was 90th. Uh, in October, uh, 90 ADP, and he's 76 currently in the November drafts. Uh, I just said, you know, whatever drafts, I didn't bust into it, but that's why I just pulled that. Uh, and that puts um, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11th on the closer behind Diaz, Classe, Hader, Hendricks, Romano, Presley, Williams, Bautista, Doval, and Hensley. Uh, that's where he's currently going. What kind of my laughs, if those of you guys watching the video stream, uh, live or later when uh, you brought up Jansen's like every Atlanta fan that I know like hated watching this guy uh, is like oh no you know smoke him if you got him here comes Kenley Jansen but then you go look at all the other numbers and they still look fantastic and that's that's kind of the crazy thing is yeah it's always seemed like there was somebody on base and he was you know there was always something but he got the job done and then you look at the overall numbers if you were to hide the name and be like hey look at these numbers oh this guy's great I'm taking him as a top five closer um, the, the concern I have with Jansen is the new pitch clock rules because he is slower than Christmas um, when he pitches. He takes a long time between his pitches, um, and his way of controlling the running game has been to vary between being slow as Christmas and being slower than Christmas and then taking a week to deliver a pitch. Like There hasn't been much of that, and or throwing over a bunch. Well, he can only do that twice now. If he does it a third time, he better get him. Otherwise, it's a balk, and the guy goes to second base. So. 
Honestly, that's my my only concern with Jansen this year is how quickly he can adjust to the new pitch clock rules. Um, because he is, to me, exhibit 1A of the guy that I'm worried about this year. I'm not worried about starting pitching as much because we know guys that are terrible at controlling the running game are bad at doing that. But with Jansen, can he, as a, as a big dude who likes to build up his rest in between pitches, can he pitch as effectively – with a pitch clock on him. So that's honestly my only reservation. Um, you know, that's, I really hate the fact that this, the, the NFBC format, it requires you to take these closers like this and the market keeps pushing this, these values up in November. We already have, you know, four closers going in the first three rounds. And I just, I want to throw up when I see that it's like, nah. uh, but it's like, you have to do it. Uh, and you kind of do, uh, but I'm hoping none of these guys get into the first round like we saw last year. But, you know, it happened, uh, and it probably will happen again. But I can see, you know, with the risk because after, you know, we got one more guy to talk about, but then it gets really soft in a hurry. Then it's all about upside, uh, and, you know, we'll take the guy that we think is going to get the job, and then somebody else, like nobody was drafting Daniel Bard this time last year. You know, he was a well afterthought, yeah, barely making it in some leagues. Look what he did. Uh, with that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I really try to avoid getting into the guy that should get the job and the guy who ends up getting the job uh, type of thing. We don't, it's tough to read the minds of managers. Um, but Jansen is, by the numbers, excellent. It's how is he going to adjust to the pitch clock is my only reservation. Uh, and that said, when I look at his ADP in November, which is 76, which would put him, uh, you know, right in the fifth round, you know, he's that's that's where he's going, fifth or sixth round. Um, heck, I'd be okay taking him as closer one if I can get him there. Kevin, where are you at on Kenley Jansen? Yeah, um, I agree because it, I don't think landing spot matters. Uh, he will be a closer wherever he ends up or he won't sign with the team. Um, I'm going to bring up the Gladiator Leagues one more time because I, I am currently in one of these drafts, and, and this has really pushed up his his minimum pick. Uh, two of the first three pitchers were relievers, five of the first nine, and 11 of the top 20. And that includes Kenley Jansen as that 11th reliever, as Jason mentioned. Uh, the next reliever taken was over two rounds later, and that was Scott Barlow. So there's our drop-off. Uh, but his men in DCs uh, is in the, the fifth round there, which is more... That was average overall. His min is 69 in draft champions leagues. So I, I agree with Jason. You're getting to that fifth or sixth round. He's probably the last guy that we really trust is going to be uh, a reliever. And, and when he was talking about Braves fans watching Kenley Jansen, uh, 20 years ago, I, I, I was uh, living up near Seattle. And so watching a lot of local Seattle Mariners games, and, and I'll never forget, I, I always called it the heart attack saves, and Jose Mesa, right? And he was interviewed after blowing a save one time. And they, and all he said is, I go out there and throw it as hard as I can. They hit it, they hit it. Nothing I can do. That kind of reminds me of Kenley Jansen, uh, uh, the way it is watching him now. He is definitely the, the uh, poster player for not watching your closers uh, live uh, that, that are on your fantasy teams. Well, I like that quote. That's a really, really good quote. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I think right now, if you're taking a guy like Kenley Jansen who doesn't have a team, 
you can't really pick a safer guy than Kinley Jansen because you know he's going to be the closer wherever he's at, right? Like like uh, one of you guys mentioned, like he's not going to sign uh, with a team to be uh, a setup guy. I think he's going to sign to be a closer, and, and he probably is going to get on a pretty decent team because I don't think a bad team is necessarily going to pay the kind of contract he needs uh, to sign uh, in order for him, uh, for them to uh, him to close for them, so like it's not going to be like a Mark Melanson situation where he ends up on a bad Arizona team, right? He, you know, he's potentially going to end up in in Boston or uh, in uh, maybe the Yankees or something like that. He's a better chance of doing what he did last year in draft season, which is ruin somebody else's value. Uh, than he has uh, ending up in a bad situation for him. So I got no problem taking Kenley Jansen. Uh, but, uh, you know, to kind of um, talk about a little bit about what Kevin just mentioned in terms of the making sure your ADP is correctly set, which I clearly did not do for this episode when I put these uh, show notes together, uh, make sure that when you're using NFBC ADP, you sort by the league type that you want, right? Uh, and for most of people, that's going to be draft champions, right? Draft champions, I think, has the best uh, ADP. It's going to have the most uh, leagues, um, and it's not going to have weird rules like this new gladiator format or the cut line format. So if you're looking for regular ADP for your regular league to kind of look at that kind of stuff, use draft champions, especially because I think, and I'm going to double check as uh, as I'm talking right now, um, I don't think the NFBC 50s, which are 12-team leagues, um, it only has two drafts so far, so you don't right. want to use that. So yeah. use use the draft champions ADP, uh, which has a total of twenty two uh, um, uh, completed drafts so far. Uh, and then uh, if you're in a more shallow format league and you want to use the NFBC fifties after the draft season has gone on, uh, use that. But just make sure you 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 set those settings right. Um, and as draft season goes on, start using the uh, um, the dates correctly too, right? You don't want to necessarily just use all the way back from October because that uh, information is not going to be as relevant once we get to February and March. All right. Uh, the next guy we're talking about is Byron Buxton. Not a oh. shocker that he's going to have a big gap between his min and his max. Uh, min so far 48, max so far 130. Um, Kevin, what are your thoughts on Byron Buxton? For me, this depends on how many leagues you play in. I, I think if uh, you're someone that's in one or two leagues, I, I probably don't take this risk. Uh, I know um, with injuries, guys are injury prone until they're not. Most recently, Aaron Judge. You know, a uh, guy in the past that comes to mind, Nelson Cruz. Uh, I think that had a lot to do with uh, moving to full-time designated hitter. But but still, uh, there. Absolutely. He he is worth this min pick if he stays healthy and even earlier. Um, he's probably not worth the max pick for what we've seen over, over the past two or three years. Uh, in me, as someone that plays in several leagues, I'm going to have a couple of teams with Byron Buxton. Uh, but again, if you're only in one or two, I don't think I take this risk. Jason, where are you at on Byron Buxton? Still hurting, uh, you know, from what he did to me and Talbot. It's just like we're talking about four consecutive full seasons without him even having 390 plate appearances. That's the tough part. Uh, and then the you know the batting average variance. I've said it a few times with some other guys. He's had an 82 
uh, point batting average variance over the past few years. Uh, you know, he still has all the speed to run out infield uh, infield hits. Uh, and and that should help him hit average as long as he's healthy. But if he doesn't have the speed to run that out, then you know he loses that part of his game. He demolished baseballs last year, hitting 22 home runs um, in the part-time thing. But you know, then you look at things like his his in-zone contact was as worse as bad as it's ever been in his career. I believe it was his career worst. Uh, and so it wasn't like he was getting himself in the trouble chasing stuff out of the zone. There was swing and miss inside the zone. And so perhaps some of that came from him just saying, okay, I, I can't really run, so I'm just going to try to hit the ball harder, as hard as I can, and, and that could have led to that, but maybe that's his new path forward, uh, kind of to that point where Mike Trout got, has gotten his career, where he's like, I'm not, I have all this speed, but I'm not going to go out there and, and hurt myself stealing bases. Remember, I believe it was Buxton, Buxton got hurt on his first stolen base attempt of the season last year. And he ended up stealing five more kind of late in the season, but that's not what you drafted him for. Um, so perhaps he's going to shift into this phase of his career where uh, I am going to just try to hit the snout out of the baseball. I'm not going to try to get do these things that have led to injury after injury after injury for me. But again, four consecutive plate appearances with fewer than 390 plate appearances. It's tough to get over that. Um, I don't care if I'm in a, if I'm playing 12 leagues this year. I don't want them on any one of my teams just because every year there's you think it's going to be the year that you get on the discount and and honestly I have avoided him everywhere. And then last year I was like, okay, this is finally a price that I can get in on, and he just did what he always does. So it, that's where it's like, man, I can't. I, I honestly can't. More power to you if you can. Though. I'm absolutely shocked that his price is this low, considering the amount of like Byron Bucks and apologists there are in the industry and just in general. Um, because this is a guy that continuously does what he does, which is play really well when he's on the field and then just get hurt and miss the majority of the season over and over again. But there's always that one person that goes, "I'm, I'm one year he's going to stay healthy, one year he's going to stay healthy," and just. I have to see it. Like, I just can't, I mean, I just can't continue to like, just believe we've seen him get above uh, 300 and uh, 82. I think it's high Well, <laughs> oh, he had 511 in 2017. Oh, that's what I mean. But after that, since then, yeah. 382 is the high watermark. Which was last year, 92 games. And we've also seen that uh, even when he is healthy, the Twins are going to manage him a little bit to try to keep him healthier. Uh, here's the thing. Byron Buxton is really format contingent, right? Like you, in basketball leagues, he's a great guy because when he's on the field and playing well, you're going to get all that goodness and none of the badness because it's going to automatically switch out for the player who played, you know, the best that week. So when he's not playing, you're obviously going to get someone to replace him in really shallow formats. He makes a lot of sense, especially daily moves formats, right? You can move him in and out when he's not playing, put him on the IL when he, you know, when he's injured. Uh, and there's replacement value on the waiver wire. But if you're playing in a 15 team league, if you're playing in a drafted hold league, if you're playing uh, even in a 12 team league uh, that doesn't have a lot of IL spots, outfield is so bad this year that, there's not going to be much on the waiver wire when Byron Buxton does go down. You're going to have to play a player that you are not going to be happy to play. Um, and so uh, if if you are going to draft Byron Buxton, uh, you need to make sure that your first outfield reserve player is actually someone you want to play during the season because 
you, you don't want to have to go to the waiver wire and get a guy who is a part-time player for Pittsburgh, like a Greg Allen type, uh, to fill in, because uh, that's what's going to be available on a lot of waiver wires uh, when he goes down. So yeah. just be very, very careful about where you draft him. Um, and I, I tend to agree with Kevin. Like, If you're one of those people that only plays in one or two leagues, uh, you may just want to avoid it because he's one of those guys that could just ruin your season. Uh, moving right along to the next guy, we have George Kirby, min 67, max 148. Uh, I'm a big fan of George Kirby. I've already drafted him twice out of my three drafts so far this year. Uh, so we'll know what uh, I'm going to say when it gets back around to you. Jason, what are your thoughts on uh, George Kirby? All right, if I could read, because I actually wrote his player cap for Rotowire. Oh, nice. Well, nice. I'm just going to read exactly what I've put what I've put uh, for that. Uh, Kirby is an extremely fascinating pitching profile for a few reasons. His primary calling card is his fastball command. He's been incredibly stingy with walks as a pitcher since college. He's had 43 walks in 247 professional innings uh, and 50 in 240 innings when pitching at Elon. He uses a fastball command to fill the strike zone with his fastball as he throws his four-seamer 45% of the time, and the league hit 221 against that pitch. That fastball by Velo and Movement aligns him with the likes of Brandon Woodruff, Frankie Montas, Zach Wheeler, and Jamison Tyon, according to StatCast. The other part of his profile is the rest of his repertoire is very hittable, as every other pitch he threw had an opponent's batting average of 266 or higher. Despite that challenge, he won eight of his 25 starts upon his promotion and still had good ratios with a stellar 21% strikeout minus walk percentage. If any of his secondary offerings can take a step forward, things could get very interesting for him in a hurry as there were significant gaps in his actual versus expected batting averages on his cutter, sinker, and slider. Wide awake sleeper. Those are my thoughts uh, on George Kirby. Uh, the The fastball command is, is just terrific uh, for his ability to have the success he had despite all of his other offerings not really doing much for him in the actual outcomes, but the expected one said things should have been better. If any one of those pitches becomes, uh, you know, becomes uh, does their uh, expected rather than their actual, it could get really, I mean, the fastball command is very unique, uh, and he's pitched like this ever since he's taken the mound graduating high school. Uh, so I'm intrigued, but like I said, wide awake sleeper. Everybody loves George Kirby. Um, and it's if you if you love him, you better be willing to take him early because he's going early. Kevin, what are your thoughts on George Kirby? I like George Kirby, but I'm concerned about the innings. Uh, prior to... 2022 he he'd never reached 70 innings in a season and he jumped all the way to 130 and he got blown up by oakland and detroit in two of his last three starts so i don't know that we'll see the big jump in innings we're hoping to see we'd like to see him jump from 130 to 150 160 i don't know if we'll see that uh, because of the the way it, it, it appears to me, he might have wore down a little bit at the end of the season. And if you're looking at ADP, some of the guys going right after him, Kyle Wright, 185 innings, Logan Webb, 190 innings, teammate Logan Gilbert, 185 innings. I, I think I'm still at this point in a draft really looking for volume, and I don't know that I'm going to get it from George Kirby, so I, he's a little overpriced for me. Does it make you feel any better 
that uh, he went out in the playoffs and threw six scoreless innings. Like, I mean, absolutely. He's a great pitcher. I I, I just don't know that we'll see the big increase that we would like to see. Uh, I think Steamer has him projected for 143 innings. We'd really like to see him go to 150 or 160 after 130. And and I don't know that that we're going to see that jump. I mean, I think when you you get, or sorry, he threw eight scoreless innings, uh, not not, or no no, so uh, he threw six and then threw two uh, innings somewhere else. So that's 138 innings. You include playoffs. I think he can get to 150 pretty easily. I, I mean, I think 150 from 138 uh, is is a pretty easy. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get to 160. And that being said, I still think Seattle is probably going to run that six man rotation uh, at times, which is going to limit. Uh, the amount of times he gets two starts. I like George Kirby. I like him where he's going. I, I completely agree with everything Jason said uh, in that uh, in that write-up for Rotowire. Uh, I think it's fantastically done. I think all he needs is to take a step forward on one of those secondaries, and he's got a lot of those secondaries that he could potentially move forward. I, I like a guy with a complete arsenal and a guy who's young like him who already has shown the really, really good command uh, and control. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Kirby. He's, he's going to be one of them. Yeah, he's- I would say the funny thing is, like we talked about, the you know, market movement. He his he's been the same. It's October. His ADP was one hundred two. November, it's one hundred. So there has been no adjustment yet. Uh, so if you're looking, I don't know where you took him, Justin, uh, but that would put him in the eighth round. Uh, is where he's you know uh, that's where he's gone. He's gone early eight by ADP. Uh, a mid 95 and a max 113. So the market so far on him has been very, very stable. That would mostly, most likely be an SP3. Um, but by most folks, folks usually, if, if you're going by the, the four by four plan, uh, four hitters, a closer, three starting pitchers. Uh, so he's going SP3 and the market's been very stable. I'd be curious to watch that market to see how he grows because I agree with, with Kevin. Uh, about the, you know, there are some bigger volume guys behind them that have already done it and have been there uh, that don't have the six-man rotation uh, restriction put on them. Uh, And, like, if you are, you know, if you are looking at George Kirby, but then you can say, hey, wait, if I wait, like, two to three rounds, I can go get Joe Ryan uh, as well. Uh, So, you know, you have that type of similar profile um, type of situation. But it's, it's, it's curious that things are rather stable uh, for a, a young guy like this, because typically I would expect to see a jump. Like, uh, but right now it's been mostly relievers jumping. I'm looking at the starting pitcher market, uh, and those guys really haven't had much of a bump. But some of these relievers have had almost a full round bump as as some people start rolling out some of their strategies. And I have to correct myself. I've only taken Logan Gilbert once, uh, or sorry, uh, George Kirby once. I took Logan Gilbert in the other draft. So, okay. uh, uh, but uh, I believe I got him in the eighth round. Is where so I like a guy like Nick Lodolo, who we're not talking about. But an example, Nick Lodolo has moved up a full round. He's gone fifty. His ADP has improved by fifteen points one month over. Like what's been written or what's been spoken about Nick Lodolo to move that needle, whereas Kirby's. Hasn't moved at all. Yeah. Oh, Lodolo is going to be one of those guys that there are going to be certain people in the industry that are really championing kind of his skill set for, for good reason. I just, I still have some. I'm just looking at that, looking at starting pitchers with a double digit market movement. Lance Lynn, mm-hmm. Dustin May are, are, are two of the other names that I'm seeing um, that have the positive. Meanwhile, Lucas Giolito's dropped around. 
he's gone down 15 points. So that that's just one of the early movers that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, the next guy on the list is Camille Duvall. I uh, kind of mentioned he uh, he was the guy I was referencing when talking about Kenley Jansen uh, and the rumors that he could end up in San Francisco. Uh, Kevin, where are you at on Camille Duvall? You, does this Kenley Jansen rumor news scare you at all? I, I think it scares whoever took him at 29 more than it scares anybody, right? Uh, that That's the thing. We, 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 I don't think we were a hundred percent confident he was safe, but we were fairly confident uh, at this point in time, he, he was going to be the closer. Um, I, I got burned on Will Smith last year. I had Will Smith in almost every early draft I did. And so for that reason, I am scared to death of Duvall at this point, uh, and specifically because of the, the Kenley Jansen rumors. Because even if it's not Kenley Jansen, maybe it's somebody else. Maybe they take a chance on a Roldis Chapman, for example. Uh, yeah, um, the Will Smith burning I took last year uh, is, is going to keep me away from Duvall for right now. Fifth round. Fifth round on a Will Smith. Yeah, yeah, I and I, I did too in a bunch of places on Will Smith, yeah. and um, I tend to agree with you, Kevin, uh, especially as a Giants fan, because I watched the Giants all year long, and I saw them try to go to a bunch of different guys because they weren't completely sold on Camille Duvall. Now, none of the other guys could work out, right? Like, you know, Tyler Rogers couldn't figure it out. Um, they went to, uh, why am I blanking on dude's name? They went to the, I think they just DFA'd, uh, uh, Dominic Leone. They, he couldn't get it together. Like they had a bunch of guys they tried to go to and they end up having to keep going back to Duvall because they didn't have any other options, which makes me wonder, are they going to address it with an established guy like Kenley Jansen, like Roldis Chapman? I would not be surprised. I mean, I hope they don't. I don't think you should be spending assets like that. Uh, you know, when you're still kind of rebuilding, but who knows what the Giants will do. Jason, you, you in on Duvall at all? Not at this price. I mean, he's ninth closer off the board. I was I was out on him last year, and I was wrong. He ended up getting the saves. I, I wrote him, like, bold prediction-wise, like he was going to hold this job because, you know, throughout his minor league career, walks were a big problem. Uh, and they were a big problem for him early in 21. Um, towards the end of the season, he found it. Uh, and then everybody was like, all right, let's draft him. Uh, and he never, you know, he walks, he had, his walk rate was almost four per nine last year, but he strikes out enough to kind of offset it. Not great. But when I look at him ninth overall, it's like, I can look down the board um, and look at other guys that I would rather have. It's like, we talked earlier about what may happen. Like uh, Johan Duran, love that. And, and if, if, you know, Rocco Baldelli doesn't, um, you know, the twins just did uh, offer, Pagan arbitration. So he's still in the fold. Like if he pulls a Daniel Bard, that would suck. Maybe he's this year's Will Smith. We're all looking at Duran saying, wow, it's like nobody can hit this guy. This guy's going to be the closer and they give the job to Pagan. Uh, so yeah, that could happen. But then you look at like Jose Leclerc before he got hurt with Tommy John, the Rangers loved him as a closer. Then he went down and he you know, made his way back uh, late last year. And, you know, then I'm looking at Pete Fairbanks way down there way down there and how he closed the season. I'm surprised to see Fairbanks is slow, so low. I know it just the never trust cash theory. I get yeah. it. But how is Pete Fairbanks? He pitches high leverage. So it's like the reliever wins or saves with all the strikeouts and the improvements that he showed. I'm surprised he's this far down the list. Like even behind that bum Gregory Soto, 
Paul. Um, you know, he's way down there on that. Uh, that said, it's like there are other guys I'm willing to take the throw on rather than pay the current market price on Doval, who has seen that market price jump up a full round in a 12-team league. He's, you know, he went from 76 in October to 65 um, in November. So, you know, people are starting that strategy. He's going out there. I'd rather take another hitter and push that closer um, at that closer acquisition down than take my chance on Doval. Even right. if Lee Jansen were to go somewhere else, I'm still I still have my concerns about this one. Yeah. Uh, last guy we're going to talk about is Gunnar Henderson, uh, who is guy who came up and made his debut last year, and people are really really excited. Um, even some really really smart people in the industry. Uh, he is only third base eligible right now. I know in some some formats uh, he might have shortstop eligibility still, probably like Yahoo. Uh, but uh, for our purposes, he's third base only. His min is 59. His max is 138 with an ADP of 97. Kevin, what are your thoughts on Gunnar Henderson? Are you taking the upside play on him? I think in some drafts, it, there comes a point where you almost have to. Um, and now I'm excited about Gunnar Henderson. I think the, the Baltimore uh, line up offensively uh, and even without the the nice uh, winning streak they went on and, and contending into later in, in the year uh, I've been a fan of Baltimore hitters uh, for for two or three years longer than that they pan out pretty well but when you're looking at ADP he's the last one before a big drop off he's the eighth third baseman off the board going shortly after Alex Bregman and then there is over a 50-pick drop. So over three rounds in 15-teamers, over four rounds in 12-teamers before Cabrian Hayes going uh, those uh, 50 picks later. So third base has that steep drop-off. And if you miss out on one of the top guys, he's the last one to snag uh, unless you're willing to wait and until guys go in in the 150 range and there's several there so it is a viable strategy to go ahead and let him go and wait but i i think the upside is probably worth a shot here especially as i'll say with a lot of these players if you can get him at least at the average or maybe a little later rather than that min of 59 for Gunnar henderson i don't know if i'm making that move in the end of the fourth round uh but a little later you know uh, across the three levels 23 home runs 23 stolen bases uh, we all love that right so i i think in some instances depending on how your draft's going and if you grab one of the earlier guys or not you, you may be in a spot where you really want to to snag him uh, there in the the late 90s if he's still there Jason, where are you at on Gunnar Henderson? Is this the is this the tax that we're having to pay because of what Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt Jr. did this last year? I mean, absolutely. Honestly, it feels like this feels like the we just had two amazing rookies come up and exceed expectations, and so the next one up is going to do it too. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's no slight on Gunnar Henderson. Uh, I agree, uh, Kevin. He is the the drop off. It's like you're there, and then if you don't want to take him, then you're basically saying I'm good with third base for a while. Because you've got some things. And that's where I'm going to be. Like, if it gets to me, it's – but I, I like Alex Bregman quite a bit this year. I traded for him in a keeper league 
in anticipation of this year. And he's the guy going in front of him. Uh, but you know, Bregman's ADP is 83. And if he were to go, if he's out there, then I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to look deeper because I could, if I can wait 50 picks and look at Eugenio Suarez, that's still sitting there. Jose Miranda, who I'd like quite a bit. He's still sitting there. Uh, a healthier Max Muncy without all the overshifting uh, is there. Cabrian Hayes and the volume is there. Matt Chapman's there. Uh, Josh Rojas, Alec Bohm, who took some nice uh, steps forward, Brandon Drury. So there's still, I like the depth at third base this year. Um, it, it, but there is definitely a, uh, a stratification of really, really good guys. And then there's that gap. So you, it's how you want to plan things because everybody in that first level, not one of them is coming at any kind of, any kind of discount at all. Uh, and so, yeah, this is about where Bregman, the funny thing is this is about where Bregman's price was sitting last year. I want to say he was in the 90s, so it's barely uh, bumped up. But I'm, you know, I'm not building my plans around Henderson. That said, if he somehow fell outside the top 100, I would be intrigued. But inside the top 100 just feels like the, the Rodriguez Witt Jr. tax. And it's unfair to him to compare him to, to those guys. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> I can't do it, man. Like, I just can't do it. Like, I, I understand why people are excited by him. Um, you know, I was talking with someone uh, really, really smart in the industry. I'm, I'm not going to out him because I don't want to, like, give away, like, uh, his, yeah. uh, oh, his, 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 I'm not going to give away his strategy. Really I'm not so go ahead. But he's he we were talking about the third base pool and stuff, and when Gunnar Henderson came up, he was like, he's pretty much Bobby Witt Jr., right? Like that to me, like from a guy who's like I said, really smart, very successful player, um, is uh is uh pretty telling um what he thinks of him. I, I don't think that that's where Gunnar Henderson is is gonna end up being. I think he's they Rutschman him. Would they give him the Rutschman treatment and not call him up? I mean, Rutschman, I mean, Rutschman was great when he came up, but it took a long-ass time for him to come up. You know, would they possibly Rutschman him? I or don't maybe, I don't. You know, I don't know what the contract situation was. Yeah, or, I, I don't think so because he's already had 132 plate appearances. They'd have to hold him down for a really, really long time. And um, plus, you get that those extra picks if your guy, like, does well in the rookie of the year balloting and maybe they they would rather just since he's already been up i think i think baltimore's probably going to be more aggressive this year than they have been in the past i think they're looking at their windows starting to open um and i think they they would probably they i would think they would be a little bit more aggressive my problem is i don't think he belongs in that top 100 i think he belongs in the next group that are going around pick 150 uh, and I just can't rationalize taking him over Max Muncy, taking him over Cabrian uh, Hayes. And I, I would much rather wait the 50 picks, get one of those guys, or even wait longer, get like a Ryan McMahon. We were just talking about the top of the show about, uh, you know, the Colorado guys and being able to employ them really well on a place like NFBC. Uh, I think I'd much rather just wait and, and get a guy like Ryan McMahon and kind of just play the matchups and play the home park. It doesn't help that so. Steamer has him as a top 10 third baseman. And that's the problem. Steamer's <laughs> not going to make it any easier. Uh, I just, I don't think he's quite there yet. Like, I just, I think he's, you know, and not to mention, like, he had a 24% fly ball percentage in the majors last year. And while it was better in the minor leagues, it was still like 30 something percent in AAA last year. Like, we're not talking about a guy who necessarily 
is going to hit a crap ton of home runs in Baltimore. And I know he's left-handed, so the park changes uh, they made uh, aren't going to affect him as much uh, as other guys. But I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't think, I don't think he is Bobby Witt Jr. I don't think he is one of these guys who's going to have an amazing, you know, full first season. Uh, and so, like, I'm not going to pay that price right now. Yeah, he wasn't, I mean, against non-fastballs, he really struggled. But, you know, what 22-year-old kid wouldn't uh, with that? But like I said, by WRC+, Plus, he is projected as the ninth best third baseman uh, just behind Nolan Arenado, just in front of uh, Anthony Rendon. Uh, the aforementioned Alex Bregman, number one. You want to guess who's number two projected by Steamer at third base by weighted run? Oh, actually, I'm sorry, tied for first with Alex Bregman by weighted run created plus. Yandy biceps, baby. Yandy well, biceps. That's at 139 with Bregman as well. So yay, Yandy biceps. And and that's funny you say that because when I looked at the, like the the launch angle of two degrees for Gunnar Henderson at the majors last year, I went, man, that's very Yandy Diaz. Right? <laughs> he he does hit the ball hard and he hits the ball hard at the majors, but that is a, a, a launch angle that he's going to have to very much change if he wants to be able to tap into that power in this first full season. So I, I'm not on board with that pick, but I, can, I there will be a lot of people. I don't think that price is getting any lower than it is right now. I think it's only going to go up. All right. That is going to do it for this episode. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Justin. It's always a blast talking baseball, especially with you two guys. Uh, can't wait to see you in person again as well. Yep, I can't wait. I'll remind everybody where you can be reached on social media and plug everything you do. Sure, I'm at Hasting Kevin on the Twitter. Uh, I am the co-host with Adam Howe of the On The Wire podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network and in season I'll do my fab article again that will come out uh, probably a day or two earlier this year. It's been on Sundays the past couple of seasons. Uh, probably get the article out either Friday or Saturday going forward. I think that will help people uh, get a head start on their fab and we'll, we'll still get the podcast out first thing Sunday morning, recording that as late as we can on Saturday evening. Uh, one, one thing I'd like to add uh, with our podcast, guests like both of you guys uh, taking time in the first place, let alone late Saturday evenings uh, for the past two seasons uh, is why our, our podcast can even exist. And, and thank you to both of you and everyone uh, for that. Thank you so much. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. You guys even had my wife on uh, prior to the start of the season last year, which was a, a fun episode to do, her, uh, her and I. So um, it's always a blast coming on there and talking to you and Adam. So uh, uh, I, I'd be happy to come back on this year at, at some point as well. Definitely go follow Kevin. Uh, Kevin is a very, very good player, very humble guy, not even mentioning his 2020 TGFBI overall victory. Uh, so definitely make sure you're following his work and following him on that Twitter machine if you are still uh, going through the cesspool that is Twitter uh, nowadays. Uh, Jason, right over reach and what you're working on. Yeah, no kidding, Cesspool. Uh, so at Jason Collette, pick your social media platform, whichever one functions uh, mm -hmm. to your liking. Uh, Instagram, uh, I did sign up for Mastodon. I am on there. Uh, and I'm still on Twitter, but it is getting tougher by the day um, to stay there, to be quite honest, because most people believe the, the things that I like to do on Twitter are no longer happening on Twitter anymore. They're happening elsewhere. I mean, Jeff Passon's breaking news on Instagram. The, the dialogue that I like to get 
some of the fr- people I like to talk to aren't there. And, it, and it's, it's frustrating because I've met a lot of wonderful people on Twitter uh, uh, since 2009, I think it is when I joined. Right. And, but it's honestly, it, it's tough when a lot of the people that you like to are, are deciding to take their uh, talents elsewhere. And so uh, I'm kind of staying there, but it is, uh, you know, you've probably noticed uh, less activity uh, for me lately. And it is what it is. Uh, so, but Jason Collette, any one of the platforms you want to find me on, uh, happy to interact uh, with you and talk baseball. Uh, and right now, Rotowire, I'm working on the player caps. I, I read the George Kirby one word for word, uh, but I think I've done 200 of those and I got another 25 here, uh, starting with uh, Josh Lowe and finishing with Dylan Moore. So get to start with the Rays and end with the UCF guys. So that works well for me. Uh, but it looks like I have a nice batch of um, Rays players in this one for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, but uh, James Anderson has been good and giving me a lot of things. So I've got to work on that. And then I've got a couple of things I, I've been trying to play out with some pieces in my head I'm going to work on. I'm only working one day this week by day. So I've got some time. But uh, I want to write up uh, a full write up on Josiah Gray and Kyle Bradish are two pitchers that come to mind. Um, you know, Gray, the 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 non-fastballs are intriguing for me. And I, I want to see what's possible for him. And Kyle Bradish, when I was writing him up, all I could look at was, man, this feels a lot like Drew Rasmussen uh, with what's there and what the potential. And so, like, I want to dive into that. And so those are some pieces that I've been uh, formulating in my head that I need to sit down to keyboard and put those things together uh, for Rotowire this week. And you can reach me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB, uh, writing daily pretty much over at Fangrass already uh, this uh, season. Uh, focusing, I focused uh, last week on um, – ADP versus steamer projections uh, and some of the guys that are values or fades uh, according to steamer uh, uh, versus their ADP. So I don't know what I'm going to write about this week. Uh, It's a short week, so uh, I'll really probably get uh, two or three articles out there uh, this week. But uh, we shall be recording every Sunday from now on for, I think, a little while with the occasional break for the holidays and stuff. So, uh, yeah. Keep, uh, keep tuned, keep subscribed, uh, give us a rate and review, especially if it's of that five-star variety. It really helps us out. Uh, for Kevin, Jason, and myself, thanks for listening. A fantastic baseball offseason. Go Commanders. 14-0, Justin. Woo! <laughs> <laughs>